at your neighbor and say, think on the things that are of good report. Amen. Don't you love a good report? Um, you know, in the world, bad news sales. Um, before we pray, um, I was listening the other day to an interview with Pastor Barnett, a longtime pastor that we've looked to and gone to his conferences. And he talked about a time, Chris Vernon, that investigative reporter was going to come to his church and do a story. And um, everyone said, don't let him come. He said, oh, no, no, this is going to be good. He's going to write about everything good we're doing. And someone said, no, you don't know that reporter. That reporter writes his story ahead of the time. Then he comes and interviews you and looks for false evidence to back up the story that he's already written because bad news, someone say bad news, sells. And it's interesting that God reminds us of this in his word as well, that bad news sells. That's why the devil's been trying to sell you bad news all week. Come on, somebody, through the news and work inside your mind. But guess what? The story and the truth of the matter is this morning, good news sells when you're in the kingdom of God. And the good news is that God can be trusted. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit in this room this morning. We thank you for our brothers and sisters that are here. Father, I thank you for that prodigal that showed up at my door yesterday looking for Pastor Hank. Father, I thank you that you're working in his life. I thank you for that other prodigal that called me looking for Pastor Hank yesterday. I thank you you're working in their life as well because they're all looking for you, Jesus. But I thank you that today you're working in every life in this room. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, in these next few minutes. Let us leave on the floor what happened today, what happened yesterday. Your word says it was better that you went away, Jesus, so that Holy Spirit could come. Because he would teach each one of us on our own level, in our own mind. So I ask you, sir, speak into the children of God this morning. My dear brothers and sisters, encourage him in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Look at your neighbor and say, and the good news is, you know, the good news is that every day we go out like an investigative reporter, Christy. We go out just like that reporter I mentioned that was going to interview Pastor Barnett. And we go out and we try to collect evidence about what we believe about the nature of God, which is his disposition toward us. Now, CR, brothers and sisters, hang with me for about three minutes as I go down a little path we went down the other night. You know, we hate to be tested in this nation. Can I get an amen? I mean, just the thought of number two pencils being handed out this morning and a door monitor locking that door. Come on, somebody. And then putting you on a timer. Did your heart just start palpitating a little bit more? Did you get just a little sweaty? Did your muscles tense up? I mean, growing up in school, and now I know from my teacher friends like Sherry and Debbie and Gail Combs, that now there is so much importance put on tests that teachers have to form their own support group just to get through it. Come on, somebody. Because it's so much pressure. They begin to um, perceive whether or not the teacher is good by the way the students test. Well, I feel sorry for every teacher I ever had because I was much more interested in the social and bless their hearts. But I loved it growing up when they said it was test time because mama would cook biscuits because everybody knows that when you get tested, you must eat a big and hearty full breakfast. Can't get amen. And you must take care of yourself and sleep good. You know, it's funny. Then they tell you that when you turn 16, there is going to be a test in your life. Anybody know what test I'm talking about? The 
the SAT, sorry, I shouldn't said 16, the SAT and the ACT. And they tell you when you're little, um, they tell you that you are going to be tested and how you do on that test is going to determine your pay grade. It's going to determine the color of your baby's eyes, or at least the pressure they're putting on makes you think it. It's going to determine whether you're uh, predisposed to disease. It's going to determine everything that goes on about you in your life. I mean, they put so much pressure on ACT and SAT. People about freak out now because they want to do good. Everyone say, we don't like tests. Oh, y'all sound like you slept in a tunnel last night. Someone say, we don't like tests. There you go, a little bit happier people. Um, we don't like tests, but we do like things that are tested, amen? If tomorrow I got on a plane to fly over the Pacific, I'll get it right this time, to Hawaii, and the pilot greeted me, Keith Higgins, and he said, good morning, Miss Davis. It's such an honor to have you on our 747. We're going to fly over the Pacific. Now, I have never flown a plane before, but I, and I've never even go to school for it, but I just slept in a Holiday Inn Express last night. I had a big cup of coffee this morning, and I'm just feeling powerful, and I'm going to fly this. I'm going to say, you've had a cup of crazy, and I'm getting off of this plane. Anybody else with me? Because I want a pilot who's been tested. I want a doctor who's been tested. I want the brakes on my car to be tested. Like we said Wednesday night, if Bubba says to you, my brother, that's what I call my brother, so that's a bad thing, but Bubba, but not my brother, says to me, hey, Rhonda, I just built you a car, baby girl, and I duct taped the steering wheel to the dashboard, and then I just took some tires I found out in the street, and I just super glued them to some kind of rim. I don't know how that's going to work. And then I just found the over parts that were left over and stuck them in the motor, and girl, it's yours. How many of you are going to pay $5,000 for a car like that? No. Someone say, no siree, no siree, because we like things that are tested. In fact, we want the drivers that drive on the road to be tested. Can I get an amen? I mean, I'm all for kids not getting their license till they're 30. I think it's a great idea. Anybody with me? Anybody with me? Because any mother of a father of a teenager who gets a phone call, my mother used to say this, at midnight, because you see, there was a day, my sisters and brothers, when we lived without caller ID. We didn't know who was calling us. I mean, we didn't have answer machines back in the day. It was just that roll of fate. Would I answer this and want to speak to this person for the next seven days of my life, or do I not answer it? And that fear that would come on when a teenager, can I get an amen from anybody in the house, all of a sudden someone called you and they were out driving at midnight, your heart began to beat. We like things that are tested, but we don't like to be tested. Because what is tested, someone say what is tested, can be trusted. This is part two in a three-part message. I'll finish the third part next week. You can go home now. Just kidding. But the third part is coming next week. Look at your neighbors say, the good news is, good news is that God has been tested. And God can be trusted. God has been tested by the saints. We called him up to the witness stand Wednesday night. I'm not doing that today. I'm going to part two. But we called different saints up from the great hall of witnesses, from the word, what is written and what we know to testify. And we asked a few people in this room to testify that God can be tested. Years ago, we were um, educated in evangelism explosion. Pastor Hanks always had a heart for evangelism. And our first staff, we were um, schooled in it about 23 years ago. And we went out in the neighborhood in Canvas and took our questions. And I won't go through the whole gamut, but the question that you do as you knock on the door is when someone answers it you say if you were to die tonight isn't that a great icebreaker doesn't that win friends and influence people if you were to die tonight and you were to stand before God and he were to ask you Chris Vernon why should I let you into my kingdom the answer that we had of us that had been tested about evangelism explosion we were looking for this one answer 
And one answer wasn't because I played the guitar. The one answer wasn't because I've been nice. The one answer wasn't because I've been good. The one answer wasn't because I've broken only five of the Ten Commandments. The answer that you're looking for, the answer that's going to get you into heaven is, Father, because I've trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Can you believe the whole world can hinge on one man's name? Give him a hand this morning because his name is Jesus. And that is so awesome. But I think that most of us don't die at night, but most of us live through the day. And most of us need to know what answer we'll get to heaven. That is the biggest jeopardy question of the universe. But what you need to know today is, can you trust him? What you need to know today, can you trust him with your finances? Can you trust him with your children? Can you trust him with your grandchildren? I think that trusting him for the day-to-day is as much of a question. So can he be trusted? Number one point that we have today is we need to hear like others see. Look at your neighbor and say, we need to hear like others see. Ray Charles went blind at the age seven. The great musician and, and the movie portraying his life. There's a great scene, Nicole where the the, the dark started covering his eyes and he went totally blind. He was about about seven and a half at this point and he stumbles. He lives in a very poor shack in a sharecropper's field. And he stumbles into that little shack in that house and and he's trying to get somewhere and he's, he's stumbling and he begins to wail. What he doesn't know or what we think he doesn't know in that moment that his mother is on the other side of that small little house, one room house, standing there in the kitchen. And he begins to wail because he, he falls down, he can't do anything. And then all of a sudden, he begins to listen. And you, the, the, the cinematographer make it so powerful. You begin to hear him, the horses tap in the field. You begin to hear him hear the wind blow through the edge of the sharecropper's field. You see all these things. You hear, you hear what he hears. He's hearing very specifically. He starts to well a little bit more, but all of a sudden, he steps back and he gets quiet. And he listens again. He hears again the thud of the horse hoof. He hears again the scratch of a little grasshopper that you and I probably wouldn't be able to hear. And he reaches over and he picks up that grasshopper and with open hands he spreads his hand out. And he says, Mama, I hear you too. And he said, Mama, I hear like you see. This is faith's motto this morning. The good news is this is faith's motto that God can be trusted. And this is how it's spoken. I trust in God and what he's done and what he's doing and what he will do as much or more as other people taste, see, and hear with their natural senses. Faith motto is when I can't see before me, I know I can hear and understand and perceive that the good news is God can be trusted. Can someone give God a hand clap of praise this morning? I'll only be with you for two weeks, and then you won't be worked so hard. I apologize for it, but no, I really go on. You see, there was a moment in Job's life when he needed the good news. Job was caught in the context of a test. We like things that have been tested because they can be trusted, but we don't like when they get tested. And Job is being tested in his very faith. I'm not retelling his story. Most all of us know it. If not, that's for another message. But he loses everything, his kids, his position, his possessions, his health, everything. And in that moment, God, after a whole book of people arguing and say too many voices, someone say too many voices, too many voices speaking into Job's life, God comes on the scene in Job 41 and begins to talk about himself. You see, God can be trusted because he's been tested in all that he created And God begins to talk about who he is. Before I do, I'm often amazed. Um, I told you about a scientist that I watched this last week who became a believer. 
by studying the book of Job and Psalms and said that the Bible predicted scientific discoveries prior to the time of the scientific discoveries. Wonderful. Reasons.org. Go on there. I'm going to order his books for Pastor Hank because my mind can't get it all in, but Pastor Hank will get it. It's fascinating as he walked through creation and he talked about how God's very nature, there's the book of the word and there's the book of nature, proves the existence of a creator. That the holy books upon the earth of the false gods that are served, none of them were uncreated. They were all created. But we serve a God who has no beginning. He has no middle. He has no end. No one had to create him. Can you say amen in this house this morning? But I love looking at creation. Um, brothers and sisters, we have a, a, a tall column in front of our house. We have several. And for years, we've lived there for 20, uh, 27 years. And for years, there's been a nest always right here. But a storm came last year, and the nest got blown off. But about three months ago, I told Pastor Hank, there's branch, there's things, twigs starting to appear. And I started watching through my door, and a dove kept coming up. Her and her male counterpart, he builds a nest. Every woman say, amen, the man works. Come on, say, amen, the man works. And the male started building the nest with her, and they'd fly, and, and then she'd just sit. And she was unmoved. I mean, we go in and out that door a lot. You know, and I you know, couldn't help it. We love nature. Pastor and I, we have raised Dalmatians, gerbils, hamsters, birds, Maltese. We've raised chihuahuas. We've raised fish. We just, we're pastors. If you give us something, we're going to breed it with something else and come up with something else. And so, you know, we, Pastor and I, we speak to her, hey, pretty girl. You know, but we'd always keep our distance. And we watched her and we watched her and she was unafraid of us. The male didn't come back. And then all of a sudden, one day I noticed she looked a little fuller in her hinder parts. Come on, somebody. She looked a little fluffy. And as I'm looking at her, I'm thinking, she's probably laid those eggs. And, um, and she wouldn't move. She was undaunted. And I still talked to her, hey, pretty thing, you're good mama, you're good mama. And um, Pastor Hank would talk to her. And then one day, there they were. We named them Hansel and Gretel. They were the cutest little two, little pair. And they would sit there, and you didn't know how big they were. And Mama started leaving them. So when I come out, I say, your Mama's coming back. She's getting you food. I know she's getting you food. And every day I talked to them until one day, Katie, I was looking through the door, and she couldn't see me. And she had flown, and the baby stood up. Let me tell you, people, Hansel and Gretel were huge. They were huge. I mean, they were staying ducked down when I was talking to them. But when they came up, they were huge. And so one day, I mean, you know, we lost our chihuahua to heaven. You know, you believe what you want to be. I believe he's in heaven. And we don't have an animal right now. And so they became my pets. If I could have fed them, I could have taken them worms. I would have done it. I just love little creatures. But I didn't. And one day, Pastor Hank said, I'm warning you, baby. Hansel and Gretel are going to fly away soon. I said, don't say that. He said, yes, because mom and daddy, daddy has come back. The pastor watches nature like, and they're around the corner, and they are in a fury about something. The wings are coming up, and they're talking, and they're just going nuts. I guarantee you, they're preparing to go fly Hansel and Gretel out of the nest. We went on through the day, came back later, and guess what? Hansel and Gretel were gone. In fact, they're completely gone. There was no goodbye, Mrs. Davis. Thank you for your encouragement. Goodbye, Mrs. Davis. Thank you for encouraging my mama. Goodbye, Mrs. Davis. Thank you how you always spoke the word of God into us. No, those babies, just like children, just flung the nest and left. But we see in creation who God is. God put it in that mama and daddy how to take care of that baby. But you don't think he can take care of you, Brother Keith? Sherry Higgins, you don't think God, and I'm saying Rhonda Davis too, I'm not picking on y'all, you know, somebody I do. You don't think God can take care of you, but he can put it inside of a dove's mind when it's time to kick the babies out of the nest. But you and I doubt that we can trust him with our future. The good news is he can be trusted. 
The good news is when he says to Job, he takes him to the woodshed. It reminds me of when I was a teenager and my mama. Anybody else ever gotten taken to the woodshed by a parent? And my mama took me to a woodshed. Oh, it wasn't a beating. It was a talking to at um, Oakland Drive, right behind Church God headquarters for an hour. We sat in the car as it rained. I remember how it looked. I remember what time of night it was. And my mama for an hour tore me up with her words in a good way and told me everything. And she was so right about every point that she had noticed was out of line in my life, my treatment of others. She let me have, well, God comes to Job. Someone say, God comes to Job. And he says to Job, the good news is I can be trusted. You've wondered about what's going on in your life. You've wondered if I, the Lord, can take care of you and yours, if I can get you up and get you through your work day tomorrow. Really? Are you kidding me, Job? You've wondered as you're suffering poverty, Job. You're wondering as you've lost everything. You're wondering if I, the creator, can take care of you. Let me ask you a question. The good news is I command the morning to appear and I cause the sun to ride in the east. Job 41. I'm all of this I'm quoting straight from the word of God. I cause the daylight to spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to the night's wickedness. I light up the sunshine in the sky to desert, disturb the haunts of the wicked who roam in the night with their arm raised in violence. Do you, Job, know where the gates of death is? Do you, Job, do you run to Davis in your disbelief and your fear? Do you, can you tell me where the gates of utter gloom is? Because I, the Lord, know that. Can you take the light and darkness to its home? Oh, but of course you know. This is where God becomes a parent of a teenager. Oh, of course you know, Job. You're so smart. You're so brave. You were born before it all created, weren't you? You are so experienced. Someone say, uh-oh. And God begins to make the blow. So in your fear and your doubt, can I ask you, do you know where the treasury of the snow abides? Can I ask you, Pastor Todd Haggard, do you know where the moments of the stars exist in their perfect sequence, but you don't think I can take care of you? Do you know and I shout to the clouds and the clouds pour forth rain? Can you guide the constellation and the bear and its cubs across the heavens as I do? Can you provide food for the ravens young when they cry out because mama has forgotten them? I, the Lord, do that. Do you count the months to the mountain goat who lives in the desert and gives birth? Do you count the months till she gives birth? I, the Lord, do, and I watch as she gives birth again. I count the months of the wild deer. I made the ostrich an animal with no wisdom is what God says. So she lays her egg out on the ground, not worrying whether a hoof of a horse or a, a human would come and squash it. But I'm telling you, says the Lord, I gave that ostrich so much speed when she jumps up, she can run past the swiftest horse with the rider because I am the Lord. But you don't think I, who made the ostrich, can take care of you. Somebody give God praise. I'm not done, but I'm feeling, I'm feeling mighty fine. I, the Lord, gave the horse the ability to leap forward like a locust. If you watch the quickness, which I didn't, but one of my friends texted me, we have a contender for the Triple Crown, American Pharaoh. Let it be, Lord. It's not happening a long time, but I love to watch those horse races leap like locusts. Can you make the horse paw the earth and rejoice in its strength? It's unafraid, the Lord says. This is war, people, if they could testify to this, or anyone that rode horses in battle, said a horse senses not even from the bugle, says the Lord in Job 41, but he senses the war even from the distance in the dirt. I, the Lord, made them. And the Lord goes on to say, do you still want to argue with me? Rhonda, Davis, Andy, Jackie, Anissa, do you still want to argue with me that I can't be trusted? Do you still want to argue with me that you cannot put your life into my possession? 
Do you still want to complain to me? Complain as you will. Bring it as you will. But know that I, the Lord, will continue to speak the good news to you that says I am the beginning and the end. I am the creator. I am the Lord who sits high upon the heavens. I am he who is encircled upon the earth. I am God and there is no other. So don't you tell me I can't reconcile your situation. Don't you tell me I can't move a mountain. Don't you tell me that I, the Lord, can't restore. And he says this to Job, really taking him, Keith Higgins, to the woodshed here. He says, oh, do you still want to argue with me? Are you as strong as God? I've heard the Holy Spirit say this to me a few times. I felt a little kinder maybe now. Then put on state and majesty around your gates and splendor. Then even I, the Lord, would praise you for your own strength if it would save you. What the Lord is saying, you've got to remember that I am God and stop making yourself God and continue to believe that I'm God. I could go on about the crocodile. Read it. Job 41, God described his very teeth and how he made it clamp down and said, you may think you can pet it like a bird, but I dare you, says the Lord, to put a hand on it. You'll never forget the battle if you do. This is our creator. And guess what? He has been tested and he has been trusted. If you'd bring that image up on the screen. So when doubt and fear rival you for your faith and God's ability to take care of you. Look at that familiar verse, Jeremiah 29 and 11, and make a U-turn right back to the unwavering faith in God's goodness and love for you. For I know, says the Lord, can I get an amen, the plans I have for you. If I've got plans for an ostrich, Mandy, do you think I don't have plans for you? If I've got plans, Melody, for an alligator, you think I don't have plans for you? Yesterday I was walking on the greenway. It's allergy season for me. It's hence the glasses. About 3.30 I got them calmed down enough and just had to get out and prayer walk. And I got in the middle, Nicole, of a marathon for a girl named Amber, a race. I, I just hate that when that happens. And people are running with their numbers and people are cheering them on. And I'm like in the middle, hey, y'all, hey, y'all. And, um, and I'm just, I race walk. I don't run because of my little knees, but my big knees. But anyway, I don't, I don't run. So I'm going through there and uh, they're encouraging everybody and they're yelling out. And it's for a girl named Amber who must have cancer or something. I tried to find it last night. But, I mean, there's a guy riding his bicycle the whole time. You're doing great. And I was like, thank you. Um, you're doing awesome. Thank you so much. I mean, I got so caught up and I thought, you don't have a number. You're not a part of this group. But along the way, there was scriptures. Everyone say scriptures that they had written in, in sidewalk chalk, which often happens at Greenway. Sometimes the things that are written are not good people. It's not good news. But these things were written good news. And right when you got to the end of the race, it had that. When you were supposed to turn around and go back, it said, turn around. Jeremiah 29, 11. I thought, how cool is that? How cool. So to the young people, it was all young people, to the young people that were stationed there, and the parents were at the home plate passing out water and cheering. The people standing there, I said, can I take a picture of this? And they looked at me like, sure, go ahead. So I took a picture of it and I wanted to use it this morning because that's so awesome. And it just, it just spoke volumes to me. When you get to that point when fear and doubt is screaming in your mind and the other voices are going on, turn around and head back. With Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans God has for me. Don't just think it, but speak it. Job says in Job 42, at the end of that dialogue that God gives as we move quickly toward the last 15 minutes of this message, he says, I know now, God, that you can do everything and that no purpose. Everyone say, no purpose. Everyone say, no purpose. I say it again. No purpose of yours 
can be withheld from you. You see, my next point, thank you guys, that's all the visual. What report you believe is more important than the news you receive. The report you believe in Numbers 3 and 17, we're talking about, and the good news is, someone saying the good news, good news is that God can be trusted to take care of you. I heard a beautiful worship song a couple of days ago, a friend of mine loaded from Bethel, and it was a spontaneous worship song and that fell into in the middle of the worship set, and it was, he is taking good care of me. I don't need to worry about a thing, and it was the words and the melody, just hauntingly beautiful. I've played it nonstop for probably three days. The good news is God knows how to take care of you. The good news is God knows how to take care of me. But what's important is the report you believe, not the news you receive. In Numbers 3 and 17, a familiar passage. Josh, if you'll come start playing, just get me. Um, this is a, I've got a good probably 12 minutes, but it'll just kind of move me there. Numbers 3 and 17, God tells the Israelites through Moses to go into Canaan, into the land he promised, and to check it out, to check out how the walls were, and to check out what it looked like, and to check out what was going on. It's funny because he did this to inspire them to go forward. He had already written the story. You remember that investigative reporter that we talked about in the beginning, that the, that the friend, uh, Pastor Barnett, said he already writes the story, and then he tries to backlog it with false evidence? Your enemy does that all the time, but you and I have to be investigative reporters that go into our day every day gathering information about God that we can already write whatever story we get into. So when we get into the news of the day, the report of the Lord holds us steadfast. Can you say amen? Remember that Psalms 112 that we read, that those who trust in the Lord, their hearts are secure. They don't fear bad news. You know, it's interesting. I wish that had been written, Misty, to say there'll never be bad news. It doesn't say that. And we do an injustice when we tell new believers, you serve Christ, you'll never get bad news. That's a lie. Bad news comes to all souls. No one lives unscathed upon this earth. But he said those who trust in the Lord, not those who trust in their banking account, not those who trust in their strong personality. I'll get back to Numbers 3. But isn't it amazing sometimes when we hit bad things? You know, God told them to go in and to look over the situation, not size up themselves. Because we always size up ourselves. I mean, we get into a situation, Mandy, and we say, you know, um, well, I'm Italian. We're always Italian. We got this. We take it to the mattresses um, with the Godfather. We can always do this. You know, we look to our strength or we look to our weaknesses. Oh, you know, I'm a member of the Ross family. And we're weak. We're a bunch of alcoholics. We're a bunch of poverty people. We never got education. God did not tell them to size up themselves. He wanted them to size up what was before them and to remember he was greater because the report you believe determines the future you experience. The report you believe about anything, you know the story, they sent in 12, everyone say 12, 12 spies, the 10 spies, giants in the land, we can't do this, but the two God-fearing, good news bearer, are you a good news bearer? God gives you good news. Do you take that good news to others? Or are we one of those people that, you know, always make the good news into bad news? Like, hey, I want to congratulate you, Donnie, on your new job. You know, if he just got a new job and Donnie says, yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to work every Saturday. You know, oh, well, I'm sorry I congratulated you. It's funny how Rhonda can take good news and turn it into bad news if we're not careful. Because the two, Joshua and Caleb, 
came back with the grapes. And you know the story. We've told it before, Pastor Hank and I. The cluster of grapes, the amazing thing is God sent them in, according to Scripture, in the time of harvest. He could have sent them in the time when it wasn't harvest. He sent them in in time. The grapes were so big, it took two men to carry cluster of grapes. I don't think Milo has any grapes that big. Come on, somebody. Neither does Cook's. But where God had called them to, and the good news was God had already written that they would be victorious in there. But we know two of them because of their perception. It is your perception and my perception of news that makes it a good report or a bad report. It was the perception of what was going on. The grapes, someone say the grapes, were proof of the promise. But they didn't keep their eyes on the promises, on their perception. And they, kept by, they came back saying the cities are fortified. The cities are so huge. God didn't say get a measuring stick and measure your enemy. He said, just go see what kind of land it is. You see, but they came back with their measuring stick. They came back with their woe is me. What kind of report do you and I, listen to me, bring to other people? Because these 10 affected a million people to the degree that Numbers 14 and 1 says the effect was so bad. Someone say the effect was so bad that it says the people wept aloud all night. Their voices rose in complaint, and they said, let's elect a leader. I mean, they'd already been out of Egypt for a long time. They'd come across the Red Sea. They'd had all these miracles. They said, let's and go back to Egypt. Oh, my goodness. Are you guys just raving idiots? Every time I read that until Holy Spirit reminds me, Rhonda Davis, how many times have you tried to go back to yonder? Anybody with me? Oh, sometimes go back. Hey, I don't want to do this ministry. Anyone that comes into ministry will always say, I'm done. I'll say, and you'll be done about a million times. So just put that thing into the file. What is the trash can file? 813, and just file it away. Because many times I used to tell the Lord when I first started working with broken people 27 years ago, I told him one day, I'm leaving this place. My husband and children, but all I knew is I was leaving this place. And I said, I'm going to go sell seashells on the seashore. I know, doesn't that sound fantastic? And... Um, Lord, just listen for a while. And you say, how do you know he was speaking? You just learn like a friend. I've learned my children. I've learned my brothers and sisters that I know when you're communicating, you just learn error, trial, error, error, good, error. And Lord said, okay, that's, that's good. So what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to go where no one knows me. And no one knows I'm a minister and I'm going to sell seashells. I don't know why that obsessed me so much. I'm going to sell seashells in a little souvenir shop. He said, that's great. That's great. You, you, yeah, that's great. But let me just tell you that in a matter of time, someone broken will find you. Oh, they won't know you're a minister, but they'll know I live inside of you because I am alive and resident. And they will begin to tell you their problems. And that gift is given without calling, or your calling is given without rebuke or rebrief, whatever that word is. He said, so it will flow out of you healing because I, the Spirit, am within you. And you'll start ministering to somebody. It'll probably be an addict. It'll probably be a broken heart. It wasn't addicts that bothered me back then. It was church people, I promise. It was religious people. He said, I'll even send the religious people to you. And he said, it'll flow out of you. So you want to rethink that? There's no going back to nothing. There's only going perception. Everything you encounter this week is more important than what you hear. If when bad news comes, everyone, other people would perceive it as bad news, it's when you and I say, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I know the Lord will turn this for my good. When my mother got diagnosed with Alzheimer's, gracious woman, I've told you this maybe years ago, 
about seven years ago. She has so digressed since then, held on to her joy, but is digressing daily. But when she first got it, she looked in the eyes of the doctor and he said, do you understand what I'm saying? She said, yes, I do. She's very sad, but somehow the Lord will work this for my good. I mean, we stood there crying and, and today we still ponder that. But I wonder if that's why maybe today she is just full of joy and full of laughter and doesn't fight my father, even though things are breaking down in some horrible ways that I will not share. It's how we interpret the things that come to us. You say faith turns bad news into a good report. I want you to say that faith turns bad news into a good report. News is what happens sometimes. News is what happened. The fortified cities in that land, Keith, were big. The men were big. It was already there. But it had already been written in Exodus 3. Listen on these last few moments. God had already said, when he spoke to Moses in Exodus 3 with that burning bush, he said, I've seen my people crying out to me in Egypt. I've heard them. I've felt their bondage. You see, God hears and feels just like we do in faith. And he said, I'm coming. I'm coming to deliver them. But then he said, I mean, it's good enough that he takes us out, but we got to know he's taking us into something greater. Anybody with me? I don't want to just come out of something. I want to go into something greater. I want to go into a better place. I don't want to just say, I came out of uh, Hope County, but now I live in Bradley. Come on, somebody. I, I, I want to, just kidding. I don't want to just say, I came out of addiction. I want to say, I became and came into the believers of Jesus Christ. I didn't just come out of being an orphan. I came in to being a child of God. I didn't just come out of being rejected my whole life. I came in to being the accepted daughter of the Most High God. I didn't just come out of living a life of insanity, fear, and doubt. I came into a believer's community that are smart with the very genius power of the Most High God. Anybody with me? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise God said I'm bringing them in in Exodus 3 it was already written you see God had already written this story God has already written your future and mine the only way it's not going to happen if you and I shrink back and fear and doubt 170 times in the scripture prior to this moment in numbers the good news had already been written and the good news is God said I will bring you into the land and before we cast stones on them these last few moments what about you Rhonda Davis what about you? It's already written. The Bible says that you can have, Jesus said, my peace I give you and my peace I leave you. That's double peace. Someone say double peace. The Bible already says that the kingdom of God is full of joy, unspeakable, and full of glory. So Rhonda Davis, next time you get into a situation, where is your joy? It's already been written that that joy is available. What about you, Rhonda Davis? See how I'm picking on me and not on you? You, the next time you say, I can't do this. I can't do this. I have no strength. What about Isaiah 52 that says, reach down and pick up the strength that I, the Lord God, have laid before thee when I cross the path of where you exist today. You see, before we cast a stone into those that had, had it written that they would go into the land, we've got to realize that God has already written our future. Can you give him a praise for that as we round the last corner? This is so powerful. Before we pray together this morning, these closing moments, listen. This is so powerful that they didn't experience victory. As you know, a generation died off in the wilderness. It was their promise. Oh, God. And they died off in the wilderness. 
And they didn't go in to possess that which the Lord said was theirs because they listened to too many voices. Someone said too many voices. And I was telling my sisters on a rabbit trail, it was a good one this week, that you know, there's these little things on Facebook that says behind every woman is a crazy best friend saying, do it, do it. You know, I was young, I thought that was cool. I don't want no friends like that. My godly friends, my dear friends, I won't name any of this church, I have them, but I go outside this church, Joni Lamb and Melissa Quayle. They're like, I don't think you should be doing that. I mean, I got interrogated by Joni for three hours over Mexican food, which is wonderful, the Mexican food. But just, you know, asking me as a friend, this, how are you doing here? What is going on here? What's this? What's that? That's the kind of friends I want, the kind that will believe with me for the good report. I mean, I don't want stupid friends that say, let's open a bakery, but never, we've no, never, ever cooked a muffin. But let's, let's open a bakery. I mean, because you're going to go bankrupt if you've never opened, if you've never cooked a muffin and you open a bakery. That's just stupid. I don't want that kind of stupidity. Anybody with me? I want wise people around me that'll say, the good report, the Lord is with you. But we need to think through this and weigh the cost. The Bible says you don't build a house without calculating the cost. When I was a teenager, yeah, my best friend was like, oh, you know that boy across the hospital, he's so sexy. He loves you so much. He's the quarterback. I mean, I remember a girl says to me, he wants to go out with you because you're the hump of the cling. I mean, who gives a rip now? But And he wants to go out with you and, and you should. Well, I knew he was a drinking, slut, heathen, womanizer. And thank God I didn't listen to my BFF who did not have the wisdom of God. Because she said, oh, God wants you to be happy. No, God never promised I'd be happy. He promised I'd be full of joy. He promised if I follow him, he would take care of me. He, followed, he promised that if I'd follow his path, he would fill my life with joy and blessings and unspeakable glory. But he did not promise that Rhonda should always choose every day. Well, it just makes me happy to do this. That is not God. Look at your neighbor and say, that is not God. We need people, the right voices around us. They say, I think y'all pray about that. I don't know about that. I'm not talking about discouraging negativity. I'm talking about just wise and Joshua when they were ready to go into the land 40 years later after that whole generation had died off and didn't get to what to get if we don't get victory it is not God's fault God's will is always victory even in death even in death God's will is victory my granddaddy died in great victory from cancer every official in the church of God swarmed his room my daddy held him in his arms but Dr. Lowry every time I see him he still tells about it he was there because A.M. Phillips was a man of joy, and my mother's daddy, full of faith, full of glory. And people just pressed in to see him take his last breath. Why? In victory, with his eyes looking up to heaven, with a smile on his face, and said, Pete, he called my daddy Pete, Pete, there's Jesus. He's coming for me now. I bid you farewell. That is death and victory. Come on, somebody. I mean, we may just breathe a breath. We may not say Jesus is coming, but God's will is always victory. But we got to see it through God's perspective and God's perception. So when Joshua sent those spies in, guess what? He only sent, everyone say it. He sent too many in when he sent 12 kids. Somebody, too many voices complicate the matter. Joshua just sent two in, Pastor Todd. I've learned the, the wisdom in this. He sent two in and he said, go in. Don't look at the whole land. Just look at the next place we've got to go. It's called Jericho. Sometimes we look at everything before us, and it just complicates us. Am I, are you with me, people? Oh, it complicates me. Maybe I'm the only brunette in here. It gets complicated. 
But it just complicates me. And it's, it just, everything weighs on me. And my, my husband, my best friend, my lover, my, I miss him. He's gone and I just want to cry about it. But he always says, Rhonda, you're getting overwhelmed. Rhonda, what is going on? Because I'm, I'm kind of contemplative and I get tense and overwhelmed. And I'll, he said, Rhonda, you just mentioned 20 things. Can we come down to one? <laughs> Can we just come down to one? What is the next thing before you? I don't need to know how I'm going to do in 10 years from now. I need to have long-term goals. But I just need to know how I'm going to make it through this week. What's our goal? What's the goal this year? You know, dissect that up. And he said, go in and spy out that Jericho because that's the next place. He didn't say go look at the mountains, the valleys. I mean, he learned from Moses. Just don't go look at everything. Just look at the one thing. And the amazing thing, I won't retell that story, but those two spies, as you know, came back in with the word. The people are terrified of us because they met Rahab, the harlot. And she said, people are shaking in their boots over you. And they came back and Joshua and Caleb stood, I mean, Caleb and the other spy took, stood before Moses and said, we can well take this city. I'm going to tell you something. All you need, say all I need is two spies. That's all you need. You need the spy of the word and the Holy Spirit to interpret every situation you walk into. Look to them first. There is wisdom in the multitude of counts, but I don't think multitude is 100 people. Don't poll the audience. This is not win a million dollars, whatever that show was. Poll the word and poll the spirit. And then, what is the good report and what is true? That's two spies. Faith and hope. And then a couple of great godly people in your life. But listen to what the word says and the spirit says about your future. And you will not fear bad news, but this is where I want to end. I love this. Psalms 23, one of our favorite passages that we all know. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He restoreth my soul. The part I want to get to is said, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid. But you, Lord, are close by my side. And your great message. I love to talk about sheep. That's not our time this morning. But what the rod and the staff do when the shepherd is in the very life of you. You see, I want to see the Savior there. And I love this familiar verse that Pastor Hank has acted out a multitude of times so fabulously. I will not different. And in a more modern translation, and it says, I will not fear when I walk through the valley of shadow death. And the amazing thing, I tried to bring a picture of the valley of shadow because it's so cool because you can't, you, you sit on this mountain when you go to Jerusalem and you look way above you. And I was with, look way over there and you'll see the shadow of death. And you have to look way over there where King David wrote that. And it's built into a cleft and it's very, it's very thin, but it's amazing because it looks so small. And that's the way it looks to God. But I love it when he says, here's your two spies. Surely goodness, your goodness, and your unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. So when I hear some kind of bad news, when I walk through something, when I'm wondering, can God be trusted with my life? I mean, he created the giraffe, the zebra. I mean, he can, he can tame the crocodile. He can do the hippo. He can chase the constellation. He made the ostrich so that she can run faster than the horse. But I don't know. Can I trust God? The good news is I can trust God because I have two spies in my life. Surely, goodness and his unfailing love shall be with me every day of my life. Stand and give him the best praise. I'm done preaching. Come on. Put your hands together and praise Him. Don't praise Him. You're the founder, the one who holds your life in His hands. He is for you, not against you. 
As the musicians come and join um, whoever's still with us, Josh, this morning, I want you just to step out, if you will. If you'd like to bring a situation to the Lord, I'm just going to ask everybody to step up for a couple of minutes just to the altar, would you? And let's pray corporately together for whatever you're facing, that the good news is God can be trusted. God has been tested. Bring next song on up, if you will. Let's sing one of the songs. Josh, one of them that you were singing went so well, but I don't remember which one it was. Um, if you Just whatever works for you. I want you just to lift up while you're standing down here in these closing moments. Maybe your life, when you lift your hand up, maybe it's a situation you're facing, maybe it's a decision, and you're just wondering, can God be trusted? Oh, you don't even know you're thinking that. But fear and doubt are there, and you're trying to do a U-turn at Jeremiah 29, 11. But you're wondering this morning. You're wondering. With your hand lifted, if you're not comfortable with that, just with your head bowed, whatever works for you, it's all good. Right where you stand in the altar. Holy Father. Holy Father, take us to the woodshed this morning. In a great and holy Oh, Father, you are taking very good care of us. We don't have to worry about a thing, but oh, how we worry and how we fret and how we respond to news or situation, closed doors, open doors, frets, worry, financial matters. Lord, how we just get into that situation, Lord, where we just feel overwhelmed. But Father, we thank you right now, God, that you are the creator that brings the constellation of the stars into their place. You are the one that taught the ostrich, the sparrow. It says that you know when a sparrow falls from the nest. But those spies of fear and doubt from the enemy, 